0: Our scripture comes from 1 Kings eleven one through 13. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love He had 700 wives, who were princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Shermosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all this foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. The God of Israel, who appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Yet, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear it away from all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son. For the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, that I have chosen. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Corey. Good morning, church family. As I'm sure you noticed... Our passage today is a rather sad one. We're going to look in on the latter years of a man's life and realize that starting well in life is no guarantee we'll finish well. And as I think about the life of this individual, I can't help but think about what a familiar tale this is. I think about the many athletes who began their professional careers with so much promise, Uh, They dominate the competition in college. They set school records. Uh, They land lucrative contracts, their first-round draft picks. Uh, They're on the top of their game. And yet, despite all the potential, despite all the promise, their careers end up being the story of what might have been. I think of individuals like Daryl Strawberry and Johnny Manziel and Diego Maradona and Lynn Bias and Steve Prefontaine, and we could go on and on. Much like these athletes, the man that we're introduced to in our passage is one we would have expected greatness from. If there had been a a spiritual combine of sorts, uh, this is an individual that would have scored off the charts. There was every indication of boundless potential. He came from a strong spiritual lineage. His dad wrote uh, half the book of Psalms. As a child, this man had a first-hand glimpse of what it looked like to walk closely with God. Not once, but twice, God personally appeared to him in a dream. God had also answered his request for understanding and blessed him with world-renowned wisdom. His reign got off to a great start and the kingdom enjoyed peace and prosperity under his leadership. This man even initiated and he oversaw the construction of this magnificent temple where people could come and worship the Lord. Every indication seemed to indicate that things were moving towards greatness. When people had the goat conversation, his name came up. And yet, instead of making the leap from good to great, we see this man plummets. He comes unraveled. Instead of ascending to greatness, he descends into depravity. First Kings 11 verse 4 tells us this, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, As was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Continuing again in verse 9 And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Now, now how in the world does this happen to someone with so much potential? How how can one start so well yet finish so poorly? What we'll see is that Solomon's undoing was not the result of an outside threat. It wasn't due to lack of opportunity or unfortunate timing or poor circumstances or any other external cause. Just like the individuals I mentioned earlier, Solomon's downfall was the result of a self-inflicted wound. Ultimately, it was a heart issue. This is a point that God doesn't want us to miss. Three times in verse 4, we see the word heart. It also appears in verse 2, in verse 3, and then again in verse 9. God is telling us that if if we were to do an autopsy of Solomon's failure, the cause of failure would be a divided heart. And in the same way that there are, are risk factors that increase the chance of heart disease, you know what I'm talking about here, things like poor diet and physical inactivity and high blood pressure, Well, what we see from Solomon's life is that there are are risk factors that lead to a divided heart. And if it could happen to Solomon, the, the wisest man who ever lived, it could happen to us as well. And so I want to invite us to look more closely at this man's life, and we'll discover three keys for avoiding a heart problem. The first key is beware of compromise one of the greatest risk factors for developing a divided heart is compromise when it comes to God's Word. You see, whenever we modify God's standards, whenever we choose partial obedience to Him, we put ourselves at risk. And what makes Solomon's downfall so tragic is that it's a lot like this picture of these folks riding in a convertible right behind the, the truck full of port If you own a convertible, this is never a good idea. You you can see what's coming, and you know that this isn't going to end well. And it's it's the same way with Solomon's life. 1 Kings 3, verse 3 gives us the first glimpse of Solomon sowing the seeds of his own destruction. We read this, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. Accept that. Except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. This seems like such a minor thing, right? This is such a trivial thing. I mean, the important thing is is that Solomon loved the Lord, right? Isn't that all that matters? Well, what the writer wants us to realize here is that that anytime we, we have to place an asterisk beside our obedience, anytime we have to make caveats, Anytime we say, well, yeah, yeah, I, I follow the commands of Jesus, accept that, dot, dot, dot. Well, what happens is those, those little compromises turn into a big problem. It happened in Solomon's life. We see that it happened in King Saul's life. It happened in Samson's life. It can happen in our lives. Small cracks in our character eventually turn into large breaches that allow the enemy to to rush in and to wreak havoc. And as we read on from chapter 3, we see that Solomon had cracks in his character. In Deuteronomy 17, God gives this instruction to the nation of Israel. God says, You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, only... He must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And guess what Solomon does? Reading now from 1 Kings 4 verse 26, Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and twelve thousand horsemen. And guess where Solomon imported his horses from? Egypt. We find that in chapter 10, verse 28. So, Solomon doesn't do so well with the first command. What about the second one, not acquiring many wives? Well, uh, Solomon was the perennial contestant on Israel's version of the bachelor. And and a, and a new season started every week. This guy had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He gave out a lot of roses. I, I doubt he even knew the, the names of all his wives. And what about that third command, not acquiring assess, excessive silver and gold? Well, First Kings 10 tells us that Solomon acquired 666 talents of gold per year. Uh, just to kind of put that in perspective, that's about 25 tons of gold per year. Verse 21 goes on to tell us that all of King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. Let me just say you know you have some serious bling when all the cups in your cupboard are made out of gold. Now, before we climb up on the moral high ground and we look down at Solomon, let's just be honest with ourselves for a minute. Do we ever rationalize disobedience? Do we ever justify bending or ignoring God's Word? I think we do. I think all of us have that in common with Solomon. You see, Solomon isn't that much different from you and me in this regard. And it's not hard to imagine how Solomon might have rationalized this. Solomon might have thought to himself, well, you know, it's not like anyone's getting hurt here, right? It's not like I'm I'm violating one of the really important commandments. I mean, if this this was really important to God, it it would appear in the top ten, right? And so that must mean that God must be, he must be more flexible and and broad-minded when it comes to these matters. Or maybe Solomon told himself, I'm the exception. I I know God said not to acquire many wives because they can turn your heart away, but I'm not like other guys. I'm not easily tripped up. And so, yeah, this would be really good advice for for some of my friends, uh, but I'm solid. Nothing's going to happen to me. This isn't a big deal. Nobody's going to get hurt. Let's not worry about it or maybe Solomon reasoned, I know God gave these instructions back then, but, but we live in different times now. I mean, the, the culture is so much different today. The world is nothing like it was when Moses wrote this stuff. God is going to understand that we need to get with the times. He'll understand that we need to, to update some of these laws in order to make them more, uh, more applicable for our modern culture. Or, or maybe Solomon rationalized his disobedience by saying, it's, it's, it's for a good reason. Maybe he said, I, I know God said, don't marry the foreign women, but God also doesn't want war and he likes peace. And if I marry the daughters of all these foreign kings, this could be a good thing. I, I could help promote peace. And so if I bend the rules a little here, really, I'm just, I'm helping God give me what I would know he would want to give me. Or maybe, maybe, maybe when Solomon was a, a young king and he had attended the equivalent of the G7 summit of his day and he saw, he saw how all the other kings, all his, all his other peers lived. He saw how the king of Egypt and Phoenicia and Syria, he saw how they rolled. And he didn't want people thinking that he was out of step with the times. He didn't want people thinking he was some rigid fundamentalist. He wanted people to know he was relevant. I'm not exactly sure how Solomon rationalized his sin, but here's what I do know. That we as human beings, we can get really creative when our wants and desires are in conflict with God's Word. And whenever we disregard, whenever we we, we ignore God's Word, what happens is we, we skyrocket the risk of a divided heart that will come and usher in our own downfall. I, I want to ask a really important question. If, uh, if you do nothing else with today's message, just consider this. Is there any area of your life where you are like Solomon, where it would be said of you that, that you love the Lord and that you walk according to his instruction, except for, except for that one thing. And maybe for you, that, that one thing is your relationships. It's your love life. Maybe you're having a hard time walking in obedience when it comes to your romantic relationships, because you're not sure you'll find as much happiness and fulfillment if you do things God's way. Or maybe for you that That one thing that accept that is your finances. You you've read what God says about offering him first fruits as an act of worship, but it just seems so hard. I mean you can't help but wonder if your life is going to be less fun and less full if you if you give away your income. Or maybe it's your entertainment choices. God's word says that we're to walk as children of light. He says that it's, 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 it's shameful even to, miss, uh, to mention what the disobedient do in secret. He says we're, we're to have no part in the, uh, the unfruitful works of darkness. But what do you do when everyone at work is talking about that particular show or all the critics are saying that th- this is one of the best films of the year and you know that that show or that movie is full of content that's going to be displeasing to God? Will you love the Lord your God, and walk according to His instruction, except when it comes to what you'll set before your eyes. I don't know what it might be for you, but here's what I know. Whenever there's a little area of our lives that we don't fully yield to God, we are undermining our own chances of finishing well. We, we are inviting into our life what Pastor J.D. Greer calls little sleeper cells of sin. And it's quite possible that nothing will happen at first when we disobey. But if sin isn't dealt with, it won't stay underground forever. And it's only a matter of time before our hearts will find that our hearts will become divided and we will begin to crave that which will ensnare us and destroy us. If you want to finish well, if you want to avoid a heart problem, take God's Word seriously. Identify those areas of your life where you are tempted to compromise and destroy those little sleeper cells of sin before they destroy you. Don't just let them be. Don't just let them ride thinking it's no big deal. That's the first key. Beware of compromise. The second key to avoiding a heart problem is beware of your companions. You see, we we elevate our chances of a divided heart if the people that we spend the most time with have their hearts aimed in a different direction. We we see this in 1 Kings 11.1. It tells us now, "...King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women." From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung. Solomon clung to these in love. And guess what happens? Well, verse 3, And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. What are your closest friends like? The ones you spend the most time with, the one that you trade texts with, the one that you trade emails with, and spend Friday nights with, and make weekend plans with? What's the aim of their heart? See, Solomon clung to people who didn't share his love for God and eventually it turned his heart. Now, it didn't happen right away. We see it was a gradual thing, but eventually they turned his heart. When I, whenever I have the opportunity to pray for a high school senior that's about to graduate and head off to college or the military, I'll always pray this. I pray that wherever they're headed, that God will bless them with godly friends. It's so important that we have companions in our life that will encourage us in our pursuit of God. That matters. I've I've heard it said that for better or worse, you're going to become like the average of your five closest friends. Now, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that that we, we shouldn't be friends with people who aren't Christians. But but what I am saying is that if all your friends have goals and priorities that are being shaped by the culture, then your risk of developing a divided heart intensifies. In in your intimate friend circle, you need people who, who genuinely desire to follow after Jesus. That's who you need to stick to. That's who you need to hang out with. Because it's one of the divinely ordained ways of ensuring that we finish well. You know, what's so ironic is that when we go to the book of Proverbs and we look at Proverbs 12, which Solomon wrote, we see he says this, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And, and it's so unfortunate that Solomon didn't follow his own advice, or he might have spared himself a lot of heartache. So, in order to, to avoid a heart problem, The first key is to beware of compromise. The second is to beware of your companions. And the third key is to beware of self-confidence. Said another way, beware of your own success. Let me just say success, it can be a beautiful thing, but it's also a risk factor. Solomon came and he, he rose faster and he flew higher than anyone else in his generation this guy had a string of unbroken successes. He was successful in his business ventures. He was successful in his building endeavors. He was was successful in his political ambitions. If this guy was launching a new business, you would want to pour capital into it because Solomon always figured out a way to generate a profit. You name it, he did it. He ran a thriving import-export business. He wrote poetry. Uh, He wooed foreign dignitaries, This guy was the man. But you know what? Success can do funny things to people. And and we see this same pattern lived out in the lives of other men and women. There's this guy, Samson. He had crazy talent. Every time he stepped into the ring, you could go ahead and you can add another tally to the W column. It didn't matter how numerous the foe, Samson always came out the victor. And rather than going out on top and riding into the sunset as, uh, as Israel's greatest judge, we see that this guy is oblivious to his own vulnerability at the peak of his success, and he orchestrates his own demise. Or let's think about King Saul, Israel's first king. He starts well, he gets a military victory under his belt, and then what happens? Well, the kingdom is ultimately taken from him. And it's not taken from him by the the Philistines or the Ammonites or any of his enemies. It's taken from him by his own doing, by his own foolish choices that he makes when he's at the zenith of his power. And that same thing can happen today. It can happen to to business leaders. It can happen to, to politicians. It can happen to athletes. It can happen to, to to virtually every profession. It can even happen to pastors. About eight years ago, some of the, the pastors of uh, the largest churches in our country, uh, they got together for this theological roundtable, and these were the pastors that everyone wanted to hear from. Uh, the, these were the, the sought-after conference speakers. These were the folks who had the uh, their face on the magazine cover, uh, the, these were the individuals that had their messages streamed and aired all across the globe, and they got together for this theological roundtable that was filmed and then marketed and distributed, and now eight years later, uh, I looked at the cover of that recently, and, and half the men that were part of that roundtable have been let go from their churches, and it wasn't because they could no longer deliver an engaging message It was because they had been blinded by the dark side of their own success. And and I just want us all to realize that success has a dark side. And the reason I say that is because the more successful we become, what happens is also the less dependent we can become on God. See, what happens is instead of looking upward to God, we can make the mistake of looking inward inward. The more successful we can become, the easier it is for us to convince ourselves that we've got the answer. We've got the solution. We've got the fix. We don't need to bother God. We don't need to go to our prayer, knees in prayer. We've got this. What's unfortunate is that at the start of his reign, Solomon demonstrated genuine humility. When the Lord comes to him in a dream and offers to give him anything, this is Solomon's response. He says, You have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? This is a beautiful prayer. Solomon acknowledges his own limitations. He recognizes his dependence upon God, and yet something happens. Somewhere along the way, all the horses, the gold, the palaces, the successful business ventures, they go to his head, and he's no longer dependent in the same way. That that sense of humility that he once had gets replaced with a sense of self-sufficiency now, I don't know the, the condition of your heart, but I, but I suspect for many of us, this is an area of vulnerability. I, I know many of us have also been blessed with success in this life. Uh, our careers have gone well. Uh, our professions have panned out for us. Life has been good. But I also recognize this, that Really, in just a, a span of a few weeks, we have gone from a season of national prosperity uh, to a time of great uncertainty, with, with many in our midst struggling with financial insecurity and loss of income. And I just I want to echo what Pastor David said in the video that went out earlier this week about there being an opportunity in the midst of this season. And this is a chance for us to renew our sense of dependence upon God. James 4 tells us that we humble ourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. James also writes that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And and I can't help but wonder that while these events are unfortunate and I I pray that they are short-lived, if there's an opportunity here for all of us to reorient our hearts wholly on the Lord. See, I don't know about you, but I know that there are times when I catch my heart drifting. And I would dare say that uh, when our hearts wander, I suspect for many of us, it's just like Solomon. We can find ourselves caught up in that false sense of security that can come from gold or money. We can chase after that fleeting fulfillment that can come from a romantic relationship. We can find ourselves wandering after that, that sense of significance that can come from bigger and better, from larger houses, from nicer cars. And, and as a way of just posturing ourselves to receive this enabling grace that, 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 that God gave Solomon during his early reign... I want to invite us all to do something similar, just to humble ourselves right now before the Lord in a spirit of prayer. Wherever you're at, will you, will you bow your head and let's go before the Lord in a moment of prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we think about those risk factors that led to Solomon's downfall we also realize our own vulnerability we we see the risk factors in our own lives that could lead to a divided heart and God we pray that you would help us to profit from your word that we heard help us to learn from this we want hearts that are wholly true to you we want to pursue you above all else because we know that you're a good God and that walking in your ways will always bring us joy and life to the full. God, in these times of uncertainty that can sometimes fill us with worry and fear, we thank you that we can trust you with our future. God, we would invite you now, as we acknowledge our dependence upon you, as we come before you in the spirit of humility, would you show yourself faithful, as you always have. Would you guide us? Would you protect us? Would you lead us beside still waters? Thank you for being a good, good father. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And it's in his wonderful name that we pray. Amen.